Visunt Latashra. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. Uh, that, by the way, is Hungarian for goodbye. As we say a brief goodbye to Formula One as they go off uh, onto their summer break. Back, of course, with Spa on September 1st. Uh, but we're here at Cape Company for a little a little bit, at least. Me and uh, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not too bad. Kind of nervous about what, what version of F1 awaits us on the other side of this break. It really, yeah, I'm, I'm with you because I... Our our cup has runneth over with uh, with good races these last these last four. I don't think anything could top Germany. Which, by the way, thank you uh, to you and Danny for covering for me while I was gone. That was a so for you Germany of a race. Pick, huh? Okay. Uh, yeah. Yep. Drew likes him the crashes. Yeah, I just like chaos. I think. Um, yeah, you, every every day you come a little closer to the Bernie idea of like we should just grease the track. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I like this race too. I think this one was a, um, I think an F one race for F one fans. I think yeah. it was. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll get into it. But if you are if you're new to the podcast, first of all, welcome. Um, and if you're new to the Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which assumes no prior F one knowledge uh, and you know, gives a lowdown on how the sport works and who everybody is. Uh, so if you want to listen to that, this year's primer episode is episode 59. Uh, also, the show is supported entirely by our audience on uh, patreon.com slash shift F1. Every month we release at least one bonus podcast uh, and a bonus video exclusively for our patrons uh, that covers racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other racing series, and a lot of weird stuff. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to that stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 uh, or click the link in the show notes. I know Danny just put up uh, one of his F1 race uh, or video game history uh, videos um, uh, on July 30th uh, going over... Um, the classic Ayrton Santa Monica GP2. Uh, we will have uh, another uh, podcast episode, at least one, this month. Um, Danny is away, as, as you can tell by him not saying anything, until later in the month. So, um, yeah, we will, we will definitely have something this week, but we're not sure what it is yet, so uh, stay tuned. Uh, today, however, we will be discussing Hungary, Rob. Hungary. Uh, did you watch qualifying? I did. Um, it was not particularly exciting, I would argue. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the more notable things. So, like, uh, like right out of the gate, one of the more notable features of this race is that it was hot as hell. Um, the yeah. qualifying was apparently significantly warmer. Then practice had been, which meant the track was behaving a little bit differently. Everyone was just a little more on edge. Uh, Haas continuing their split, um, basically running two different cars. Grosjean continuing to run the uh, Melbourne spec Haas car. Uh, Magnussen running the new car that has apparently been terrible, but they're trying to figure out why it's so terrible. Um Quick In note what ways there. is it terrible? Yeah, and quick note, um, Kroon Chandok noted something, I think, during qualifying that I think was a good point, which was that it was Groshan, actually, who put his foot down and said the new iteration of the car was a mistake. He was the one who said, like, this car is unequivocally worse than the car we started the season in. 
and was the one who like like got them to at least try in Catalonia looking letting him run the Melbourne spec and seeing how it did and that did reveal that in fact the Melbourne spec was a better car and Chandok's point was that for all the shit that uh, Grosjean gets this is the kind of like this is the kind of power move and like move like confidence and conscientiousness that you kind of pay a veteran driver for, right? Because mm-hmm. if he doesn't do that, how long does it take Haas to admit that their new their new and improved Haas isn't? And I thought that was an interesting argument in Grosjean's favor. I don't know how much it moves the needle for me, but at the same time, like when you're a midfield team, these development decisions basically are what are going to determine where you finish, right? Like you're not going to be competing for a championship at the end of the season, but it matters a lot whether or not you're, you know, fourth versus seventh, you know, in, in the standings. And a lot of that is going to be determined by how well you develop across the course of a season. So it was, uh, it was an interesting argument in Groshan's defense as Haas took to, took to Q3, uh, running the running the car they took the, they started the season with the most notable thing I think in um, well the most notable good thing in Q3 that happened is George Russell turned in the single best lap we've seen from a Williams all year did you, did you catch this uh, I did yeah uh, Q1 you mean I think sorry yeah Q1 <clears throat> uh, yeah he he qualified in 16th on merit. And was only five one hundredths of a second away from getting into Q two, which is nuts. Yeah, when uh, if memory serves, when he, so when he rolled across, he put it into P nine briefly, and the yeah. track was speeding up a lot at that point. So what it did, it didn't stick. He did get knocked out, but it was a genuinely great lap. The Williams looked like a proper Formula One car, and uh, I don't know. You've been you've been pretty high on Russell, right? I think you've been you like. Of the new drivers, it feels like Russell and Albin are kind of the bandwagons that that you're riding. Is that fair? Uh, I mean, I'm kind of yeah. I I expect a lot from Russell. I think because he was the Formula Two champion. Um, but I think all those guys, Norris included, uh, are are for real. And um, it's just a shame that we haven't really gotten to see until now. I guess the the sparks from Russell. I mean, he outqualified Kibitza by 1.3 seconds, uh, yeah. which is a lot. Yeah, it uh, is. Um, the other thing that happens in Q3 that is particularly notable, what did you make of what went down there at the very end with Ricardo? Yeah, so um, I think he kind of hosed himself because... Yeah, uh, he was lined up at the last corner behind Perez and Grosjean to go for his hot lap, but Perez was biding his time up at the front, and since Ricardo didn't want time to tick down before doing his own lap, he goes and passes Grosjean and tries to pass Perez, but as he does so, Perez speeds up and Ricardo has to back off, which kind of led to both of their hot laps being kind of wonky. Um Ricardo went 18th fastest and Perez 17th fastest. So, uh, I, I rough situation. I don't think Ricardo did himself any favors by being uh, impatient. No, Perez said later it was a disrespectful move, and I think that might be the wrong adjective 
I'd put on it, but I do think it's fair that it was a pretty poor decision. I don't know. I also would need to see again how much time exactly was remaining on the session as he rounded that corner, but it didn't... It's one of those things where even if he'd pulled that off, it wasn't going to salvage the lap because he would have had... He and Perez basically would have ended up fighting the entire way around. Uh, It's... I don't know. It was a weird decision. Uh, It it was a poor one. Nevertheless, the session ends, and that means that is the last we've seen of Perez and Ricardo, as well as Russell in 16th, and then Stroll and Kubica. Um, Q2, I think one of the notable things is every team seemed pretty hell-bent on making sure they qualified medium tires uh, for, for starting the race on. Yeah, I think it was... Let's see. Magnuson was the one that I was kind of watching because he had gone eighth fastest in Q1. Yeah. Uh, he goes slowest in Q2 while his teammate on that old Melbourne spec chassis gets through into Q3. Um, Raikkonen is the only Alfa Romeo to get through to Q3, leaving his teammate uh, Giovinazzi along with both Toro Rosso's and Hulkenberg uh, in the drop zone. But that means that I think... All of those guys, um, aside from the, let me see, I wrote down here who, what people's tires are on or what people are starting on. Yeah. So Norris signs Grosjean and Raikkonen. Um, they all got into that Q3 with soft tires. So everyone else, um, is starting the race on the mediums and those guys are starting on the softs. Uh, and then as far as that, that session, it, like I took very few notes for Q2, like yeah. I, it didn't feel that eventful to me. Uh, at the end of the day, it was Hulkenberg, Albin, Kvyat, Giovinazzi and Magnussen who didn't move on. Um, and then we had a pretty entertaining Q3. Yeah, that was a, a good old fashioned shootout. Um, early in the session, Verstappen clocked in the first minute 14, I think we'd seen all weekend. Uh, and goes to provisional pole. But as you said, the track was uh, getting faster and faster. So as time expires, Leclerc uh, and Vettel are setting fastest sector times, um, and they get close to Verstappen's time. But then Verstappen comes back and smashes his original time by over four tenths. So uh, a, he puts himself into a solid spot up front. Both Mercedeses improve and knock down the Ferraris, but nobody can touch Verstappen. Uh, giving him his first pole position of his career. And if I heard David Croft right, uh, Honda's first pole position since Jensen Button in 2006. Uh, I thought it was interesting to to look at the times, though. Botas was about two one-hundredths off of pole position. Hamilton, though, nearly two-tenths. And Leclerc and Vettel about half a second away. Yeah, I think it... And Hamilton was saying, uh, before, as the weekend progressed, what he was talking about that it feels to him like Mercedes has lost a bit of a competitive edge to the Red Bulls. And particularly, he suspects that the, uh, the Honda engine may, at this point, may have just more raw speed, uh, more power that it can, that it can put down. Wow. Horner, before the weekend, said that he kind of felt similarly. The problem was that 
in slow corners, the Mercedes remains one of the best. It remains by far the best car on the track, and that is an area that the Red Bull has been struggling to match. Uh, so I think it also kind of indicates that whatever the little deficiencies that are in this year's uh, Mercedes, when it comes to just a pure... Uh, you know, a pure fast lap. It really does seem like a coin flip over at Mercedes as to whether or not Botas or uh, Hamilton is is going to get hold of it. Uh, but it really does feel like this this addition of the Red Bull is coming on strong. Uh, but that gave us a. I'm not sure of my notes here. I think I know what the grid was. But why don't you just why don't you just run us yeah. through it? I've got it here. Max Verstappen on pole. Uh, Valtteri Bottas starting second. Lewis Hamilton in third. Behind them, we've got Charles Leclerc in fourth. Uh, Sebastian Vettel in fifth. Pierre Gasly in sixth place. Lando Norris in seventh. Carlos Sainz in eighth. Roman Grosjean in ninth. And Kimi Raikkonen rounding out the top ten. Behind them, we've got Hulkenberg, Albon, Kvyat, Magnussen, George Russell starting 15th after uh, Giovinazzi got a three-place grid penalty for impeding another driver. I think it was Stroll uh, during qualifying. Uh, then in 16th, we've got Perez, followed by Giovinazzi, Stroll, Kubica, and Daniel Ricciardo, who got bumped down to 20th due to multiple power unit element changes. And that's how it starts. Rob Zachney, do you want to take us through the opening lap? Yeah, uh, so... I would say the most notable thing right off the start, if, if we've all been sort of waiting with bated breath to see whether or not Verstappen can get a clean break off, off the line, uh, for once he does. It's not, it's not a flyer of a start, but it's, it's fine. Uh, and it's more than fine considering that Valtteri Bottas just doesn't get a good, a, a good lurch off the line. Hamilton really quickly uh, pulls up alongside him, and they end up kind of racing side-by-side uh, Botas gives him room through the first corner, uh, maybe gives him a little too much room. The uh, So Toto Wolf said later after the race that uh, Valtteri behaved according to the rules of engagement that Mercedes had laid down before the race, which was when you're racing each other, be really freaking careful. So Valtteri respected that, but then what Wolf says is he thinks... He was so respectful of that, he ended up leaving the door a little bit open just by the way he placed the car for Vettel to get him coming out of the corner, uh, to, for uh, for Leclerc uh, to get him coming out of the corner. And it left him in a bad position as they ended up uh, fighting, fighting their way down to the next turn. And somewhere in there, uh, Leclerc hits Botas, or at least... Yeah. Or at least Botas finds a way to get his front wing under uh, under Leclerc. This becomes a pretty significant issue for for Botas. Uh, his wing is damaged enough that the right hand uh, side of it, all, all all the veins and air elements there, are just kind of flapping loosely. Uh, Drew, what did you think of the incident? I I watched it back on the F1's YouTube channel uh, a couple of times, and I can't explain why Leclerc did that. Like, he, he, Botas is losing momentum from Hamilton's overtake, and Leclerc kind of has him, and he doesn't need to cut Botas off, which is what he does, and uh, clips off that right side of Botas's front wing. And it's really lucky, frankly, that Leclerc didn't earn himself uh, a puncture. Um, 
I don't, yeah, I don't know why he did it, except maybe just being aggressive and, and trying to get him, Botas, to back off. But it had just happened so fast, it, I, I can't blame Botas for not avoiding it because uh, it's, I, it clearly surprised him. It's weird. Like I, To me, it really does depend what camera angle you're looking at. This is one of the... This is one of the strangest incidents I've seen in terms of trying to figure out what I actually think happened. Hmm, Because I agree with you. From the in-car view, uh, Valtteri's going basically straight as he comes up on the corner. And then Leclerc, you know, almost like an aircraft braking formation, uh, just comes (laughs) like slashing across the track and uh, just gobbles up that wing with his rear wheels. And so that does seem like, wow, Leclerc really departed the racing line and uh, denied Botas room to race. And then when you watch the overhead shot of the exact same incident when they replayed the first lap later, and this is apparently what the stewards looked at pretty closely, uh, according to Michael Massey uh, after the race, because this was investigated and no action was taken, uh, or there was, or the, or they briefly looked at it and decided not even to proceed with an investigation. Um, Massey pointed out and i agree that if you look at the overhead view none of it looks that dramatic it looks like they were they were racing in close proximity uh leclerc drifts over a little bit as he prepares to enter the corner and uh botas's wing is just in the wrong place at the wrong time i can't quite square the uh the difference between the two camera angles my it, like if i had to guess I trust the overhead shot because there is so much happening in the onboard shot that I do wonder if there's a little bit of roll or movement in the in the onboard that makes the entire thing look more dramatic uh, hmm. than it actually is. But either way, or like lens warping or something. Yeah, more, maybe I'm more thinking like uh, a little bit of if the if the onboard car. Uh, is like maybe got a little bit of a little a little bit of a roll against the direction of Leclerc's move. I'm wondering if it exaggerates the speed and, and like drasticness of what Leclerc does. Um, I don't know. It's weird because they, they they do the two angles tell completely different stories. But either way, uh, Botas. Uh, comes around that comes out of those uh, two corners with a broken front wing and immediately has lost pace. He can't corner effectively. Uh, yeah. Vettel comes up on him immediately and Botas just starts plummeting through the field, but they don't bring him in uh, yeah. because what they're hoping for, if they, if they bring him in right away, their fear is he will immediately uh, end up in last place this is what's going to happen anyway this is the weird thing about this decision that mercedes makes they decide to leave him out apparently to spread the field but the only field that's getting spread is ahead of botas because he's holding everyone up in a compromised car and so when he whenever he pits there's going to be no there's no gap will ever open up for him there's only going to be a gap opening up in front of him uh so botas's race is pretty hosed uh right from the start and in the middle of all of this, uh, Verstappen makes a really clean getaway. And so does Hamilton. And kind of from the first, it looks like Hamilton is maybe pacing Verstappen more than he is intent on on overtaking him. 
Yeah, I, I noticed that Verstappen, I think within the first lap, had pulled out to like a two and a half second lead. But that lead doesn't really change. It kind of remains at two, two and a half seconds. And then Hamilton sends a message to his engineer that says something like, tell me when you want to close up. Like, yeah. when should I push on Verstappen? So I think you're right. I think he's just kind of keeping pace there. Uh, I've got a few more notes from the opening lap. Yeah. Perez had a monster opener moving up uh, four places to 12th place um, and inheriting 11th when Botas pitted. George Russell also, he started from 15th and got by Magnussen and Kvyat in two corners on the opening lap. Uh, F1, um, F1's uh, onboard video on YouTube uh, shows that pretty well. It's, yeah, some, some good driving. You're right. That, that Williams car now looks like, <laughs> it looks like a real car. Uh, Gasly, however, did not do so hot. He lost out to Sainz, Norris, and Raikkonen on the opening lap. Um, man, I don't know. I, being an F1 driver is hard. Yeah. Um, but if I heard Red Bull are keeping him, I would be very surprised. And I would wonder why. Like, this is the team that kicked Danny Kvyat to the curb in the middle of a season. I don't think they would hesitate to I do it again. I can't figure this out, man. So, like, yeah. this is jumping a little bit ahead to news. But we'll, let's, let's talk about this because this, is, a, this okay. is not a great race from Gasly. So, Red Bull has said repeatedly in the last two weeks, put all thought, thought of a midseason driver change out of your mind. We do have concerns, but Pierre's our driver for the year. And that's, we're going to see this through. And that is weird because you're right, there's that history of Kvyat had a rough start at Red Bull and also some flashes of real promise. And they still mm-hmm. just like, you know, gave him the hook immediately. Now, how much of that was because they were kind of dying to find a reason to put Verstappen in? Yeah. Yeah, this like this is kind of the beginning of when you know you might have uh, Ricardo wondering what the hell is going on uh, in terms of their relationship with with Verstappen. So it is a different situation than that that maybe there's not as clear a replacement ahead. To me, it looks like there's a few possible clear replacements, but uh, in the wake of this race, um. So you've had you you've had uh, Helmut Marco, who's sort of the, the the head of the entire Red Bull Motorsports program, out there saying we're not going to change drivers. Uh, Ga- Gasly's our guy; he's going to be the one to see the season out. Um, in the wake of this race, Horner sure doesn't sound that way. Um, he gives a couple quotes about this race that. Uh, he sure sounds like a guy who wants to hand Gasly's walking papers. He says, the start wasn't great, the first lap wasn't great, and we shouldn't be racing Sauber's and McLaren's. We need him to be racing Ferrari's and Mercedes. Everything we can do to try and help, help them achieve that is what we'll do. We desperately need to see him realizing more of the potential of the car. Whew. Do you think, do you think they're going to... Do you think they're going to stick by their public statements and... Bring him back after the break and get him and and get him all the way to the season end of the season, or do you think he's dead? I mean, I don't think that doesn't sound like something someone would say if they were planning on swapping him out during the break. Yeah. Uh, you know, Christian Horner is still saying things like he needs to do this, he needs to do this. I think if 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 they were making that decision right now, it would be like, uh, no, he's fine. I think it would be more of a, a placating statement. Um, 
However, <laughs> I would be re- I would be really surprised yeah. uh, if this form keeps up that they let him finish the season. Well, and I think there's extra pressure because the Red Bull's good now, and it's not yeah, and, and it's not that they have a demonstrably. Good car- yeah, and it's not that they have a good car this year. It's that they got they developed a good car this summer. The Red Bull of like today is significantly better and more capable than the Red Bull of like China and uh, Australia. And the F1 season's really long. That's the other thing. It's not like, you know, it's it's actually more justifiable now to start making these moves. Here we are in August. This thing's going to wrap up in December. Like yeah, you got a fair right. you got what is it? 9 Grand Prix uh, remaining that you can that you can score points at that is a lot of points on the table, and they have developed their way into a good car. If Verstappen, yes, Verstappen appears to be a value add uh, to the driver, whatever the whatever the uh, racing equivalent of like wins above replacement would be. Uh, Verstappen seems to seems to have a very high value there, um, but at the same time, I think the car is also more capable, which means you need. You need to have somebody in it who does not appear to be actively uh, a subtractive factor. So, yeah, I think we, I think we see him after he gets back from the break, and then I do not think we see him finishing the season there. That's that would be my guess. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Uh, the, yeah, the Red Bull is not a place for a driver to develop. That's what Toro Rosso is for. Uh, and speaking of Toro Rosso, lap 18, we get a good little battle between the Toro Rosso teammates. Uh, Danny Kvyat dives down the inside of Alexander Albon at turn one, but Albon does a cutback and stays ahead. Uh, Kvyat, though, has got the inside of turn two, however, and makes it difficult for Albon on the outside, but doesn't force him off the track. Albon then has the inside for the next turn, but Kvyat's got the momentum, which leads to this great drag race down the next straight. Kvyat then has the inside for the next turn, and Albon has to jump off outside the curbs, allowing Kvyat to take 12th place. Really great racing between these two guys. Um, nothing untoward, and just, I don't know. That's I think that's exactly what you would want to see if you were maybe Gunther Steiner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Taros is a fun team. I think, I think another question maybe to ask, and maybe this is a place that Horner could do with a little bit of introspection, is... Uh, it does kind of feel like it, it does kind of feel like they've they've struggled to develop. You know, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna back out of this point because you know it doesn't. I don't think it does hold water if you look at the grand scheme of things. I was going to say, Red Bulls in generally had in general had has had a good pipeline. Uh, mm-hmm. They have done a good job of developing. Uh, Max certainly has grown a great deal in the car. I guess the thing that I'm not sure of is how much do drivers develop once they're at Red Bull, right? Like how, like how much do they improve once they are driving for Christian Horner versus how much are they improving while they are coming up through that, through that pipeline? Uh, Because it does feel a little bit, maybe, maybe Gasly never had it. It was always kind of a, he always kind of felt like just the best option available when he got this seat and not necessarily somebody that you'd be excited to yeah, I mean, put. The, the circumstances when he got that seat were yeah. a little crazy, right? Yeah, With they were in Ricardo. the Ricardo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, like at this point, they have, you know, they have two really good options uh, on that team. Kafiat seems to have 
changed his ways a little bit is driving a little like you know driving that way alongside Albin uh both of them were very clean it was a great fight uh I think a lot of teams would like to see see their drivers capable of that kind of uh, precision and respect. Uh, real quick, by the way, uh, just in terms of tire strategy stuff, Ricardo started this race on hard. Didn't oh, yeah. really go well. Um, mm-hmm. He was just kind of wallowing around back there for the first like uh, you know dozen dozen laps. Botas came in for a wing change in uh, on lap six. And it was a 14.7 second stop. He went to hards and then he started carving through the field pretty well. Uh, but the problem was that Botas kind of got, got, ended up stuck behind Ricardo. Oh, and yeah. yeah. So the nightmare that unfolded for uh, Botas is that he ends up behind a car that he's faster than, but the Renault is just capable enough. So it was basically right after the um right after that great duel between Kafiat and Albin, uh, is when you have Botas pulled to within striking distance of Ricardo, and he just can't he just can't make his way past him. And they are two seconds off the race pace. Uh now that's not quite as bad as it sounds, because the race pace is being set by Verstappen and Hamilton, who are basically keeping pace at the front of the field. Even the Ferraris are about one full second a lap uh, off that pace. It is This is a weird race in terms of the degree to which Verstappen and Hamilton had this thing on lockdown. And Ferrari, despite having an okay car this year, was just was just nowhere. I, the only explanation I can think of maybe is that uh, Leclerc was saying coming into the race, the lack of downforce on the Ferrari this weekend was pronounced. Um, so my, my only thought is that it was just never a situation where the Ferrari could maintain cornering speed or that you could be confident uh, cornering in. But nevertheless, the Ferraris were just falling farther and farther behind and the field's kind of stacking up behind them. But in terms of like Hamilton and Verstappen, they were just in a completely separate race, uh, which sure is a fact that was hammered home in the, in the dying stages of this Grand Prix. Indeed. Uh, speaking of tire strategy, lap 22, the Mercedes pit crew jumps out into the pits like they're going to pit Hamilton, but Hamilton drives by. Uh, and as Martin Brundle points out on the commentary for safety reasons, you're not allowed to put your crew into the pit lane unless there is a chance that you'll be pitting. So legally they can't do this to trick Red Bull into thinking they're pitting, but this happened a couple of times. Uh, actually a uh, listener, Jason emailed us about this asking like, what's the, what's the deal here? Uh, can you think of why these guys would come out and do this? Uh, I am wondering if they found a way around the rules. The only thing I can think of is that they left it to the driver's discretion. Each time in Sector 3, Lewis, it's in your hands when you want to box. And then you can... Then I think you probably can put your your guys out there because as far as as you're concerned, you said uh, box if you want to. And then if your driver ignores that and continues going, what are you going to do? Leave the guys out there? Uh, so I wonder if that was maybe the thing they are that 
the the approach they took it was it is strange uh, i hope it is not one of the situations where the stewards just kind of looking the other way at a major team bending mm-hmm. the rules a little bit uh but the dynamic at play in all this is that hamilton and uh and Verstappen are kind of watching each other. Hamilton is saying, I don't know, and this is the, the thing, I don't know how much of this is totally in good faith. You got Hamilton on the radio being like, tires still feel good. I think I've still got, still got pace in these tires. And you've got an increasingly agitated Verstappen saying that he can feel the tires going up like lap by lap. And it feels like, uh, I'm like it, to me, it, it it kind of felt like they were trying to uh, convince that they they were basically trying to convince uh, Red Bull to keep Verstappen out and try to hold the ground hold ground uh, rather than rather than stop, and that would possibly let Hamilton come up on him and maybe pick him off uh, for the lead. I don't know. Uh, I'm wondering if they're trying to get Verstappen to basically to hit the cliff of those tires uh, because he's afraid of losing track position. It does kind of seem like Red Bull were forced to keep him out a little bit more than they were comfortable with. He ends up... Uh, he ends up... Let's see, where, where is this? Okay, it's lap 25. Uh, he finally ends up coming in. At this point, they've lapped all the way up to Perez, uh, by the way, to let you know how this, this race is going. Verstappen comes in, and okay, like Lewis's tires have still been good. He says he's, nurse, he's been nursing some life along in them. Uh, so it's hammer time. Well, not so much. Uh, there's just It turns out there isn't much life in those tires. No sooner is Lewis... Uh, tried to drop the hammer, then he's saying he can feel the grip going now too, uh, and so he yeah. And his his engineer actually says that that Lewis is unsafe, meaning that the gap on track to Verstappen is such that if Hamilton does pit, he'll come out behind Verstappen. To which Hamilton replies, "I can't go any faster." Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the entire the entire thing was the the entire thing was pretty fraught. Uh, yeah, they're basically begging him uh, to uh, to extend. Um, and he just, he just can't, he, at this point, like his tires are starting to, uh, his tires are starting to overheat. Uh, his brakes are starting to overheat. Uh, it takes him until lap 31 before they finally give up the ghost, bring him in and they put him on hards. Um, in the middle of all this, by the way, Leclerc came in, uh, was put on hards, Norris Gasly Albin. Uh, came in for pit stops. Uh, Norris had a terrible pit stop uh, due to the crew having trouble with the left rear. By the way, this is something we saw a lot of this weekend, yeah. which was that uh, crews were like reliably having trouble getting at least one wheel off of their cars. And mm-hmm. I do wonder if it's a heat issue that... Yeah, that's uh, what the commentators were surmising. Maybe some expansion somewhere. Yeah, either way, it's it's like routine that people are turning in really poor uh, pit stops, including Hamilton. Uh, when Hamilton stops for hards, his right front uh, also gets stuck. For him, it's not too disastrous, but it does mean that instead of a sub, uh, you know, instead of a sub three second, he ends up at a flat four. Uh, so it's it's not a great it's not a great pit stop. It pretty much means that he lost the tire duel with Verstappen, and for a little bit there, it looks like that's basically the ball game. Uh, Verstappen appears to have a pretty a pretty commanding lead. Um, let's see. Yeah, so Hamilton's 
uh, let's see, he comes out six laps after Verstappen pitted, yeah. so his la- his tires are six laps newer, um, which always helps at the end of the race, but we don't even get there before things start kicking off because, as you mentioned, Hamilton on his new hard tires comes out of the pits six seconds behind Verstappen, but in three laps, Hamilton closes that gap to one second. Yeah. Which is, I think you just have to point at Hamilton and say, like, this is this is what he does. Um, also, crucially, at this point, it's also when Verstappen is encountering backmarkers. And... You know, of course, backmarkers get blue flags, but it does take you a few turns uh, to move out of the way. And all the while, anyone behind them is getting dirty air. So it's not ideal for Verstappen. And this, combined with Hamilton's now DRS advantage, makes it prime time for Hamilton to attack here. Yeah. Um, it really is stunning how quickly he eats up the ground on him. Uh, some, somewhere in here, Bo, uh, just a quick thing, uh, Botas has also started to figure out where his prime passing opportunity is. Uh, so he is starting to make progress to the field. He overtakes Magnussen, uh, who had a day where he seemed to be moving around a lot, oh, uh, yeah. entering corners on a lot of people. I have a lot of notes. He did it to Norris. Uh, he did it a little bit to Botas. And I think later in the race at one point, uh, Ricardo ends up giving a pretty profane message about uh, Magnussen moving around under braking. Uh, so Magnussen did get a warning, but nothing more than that. And he's got a clean slate for next race. But um, I have to believe he is one of the least popular drivers uh, on this field. The guy is the guy is just a tough, uh, ineradicable weed out there. And honestly, I think I'd like a guy like that to be to be driving for me in some uh-huh. ways. But my God, like sharing a racetrack with him seems infuriating. But by lap thirty six, even um, if you're his teammate, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. By lap thirty six. Um, Verstappen is basically has Hamilton on his gearbox, and uh, it's really interesting to see how the dynamic unfolds because Hamilton he keeps seeming he'll be he'd be right on top of Verstappen pretty much through the entire lap. It almost looked like he'd be able to do it. He always looked like he just ran out of runway basically on the main straight and mm-hmm. would have to back off. And he would stay right on top of Verstappen. But Verstappen always appeared to find a little bit of pace in Sector 3. Just enough to stretch it back out and break away a little bit heading into the straight. So once again, Hamilton could use DRS to close that space up again. uh, But he couldn't quite close the deal. And it goes on like this uh, for, for quite some time. It's like three laps of Hamilton trying to get into distance where you can close the deal on this lap 39. He finally does. Uh, you want to take us through this, uh, through this little duel. It, to me, it felt to me like a replay of the Albin, uh, Fiat fight. Yeah, you're right. So it's, it's just before first, uh, the first turn where Verstappen cuts to the inside to block Hamilton, who then manages to squeeze past the back back marker of Ricardo, uh, and pull up next to Verstappen in the turn. Verstappen, though, has the inside for the next turn because it's the opposite direction. But this is where Hamilton overtook Botas earlier, and he tries the same thing here. Um, but where Botas locked up, Verstappen keeps it clean uh, and then moves to the outside to block Hamilton. Hamilton then follows him out of the turn and onto the straight where he has enough momentum to move up uh, on Verstappen, uh, just like Albon did uh, against Kvyat. 
and go for the pass on the outside of the next turn. But this, the next turn is turn four, which is a, it's a tricky one because it's not, there isn't enough room for two cars to go yeah. around it, basically, especially at the, not the speed. speed that you're going. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, Hamilton's in too hot and has to go off track, uh, meaning that Verstappen keeps first place. Uh, also, turn four is where you go off. Um, the curb has a lot of big, uh, I don't know if you'd call these sausage curbs, but they're, they're, they're big and rough rumble strips. So you have to go completely off of the track where there are a lot of marbles. So Hamilton picks yeah. up a lot of those. Uh, has to take a breather for a minute to allow his tires to shed the marbles and to allow his brakes and, and tires to cool. So uh, he backs off for a little bit. Well, it's it's pretty bad. Like the team tells him you have to start lifting coasting uh, now. Yeah. So basically, like that to me felt like a little bit of the white flag, right? Like you're in mm-hmm. this duel. You like you know those tires at this point have already seen a lot of hard racing, and now you're in lift and coast mode to cool everything back down so you can maybe give it one more shot. But just closing the distance back up is going to be tough. Um, Hamilton asks his team, what more can I do? And the message comes back, just keep the pressure on. And Hamilton, sounding about as frazzled uh, as you'll ever hear him, but you will hear him this frazzled pretty frequently because he's an emotional (laughs) guy during a race. He says, I can't keep the pressure on. Um, and Verstappen starts asking, where did Hamilton go? And Red Bull tells him, like, look, he's trying to cool his car down. Uh, his brakes are, you know, his, his brakes are hot. His tires are hot. Uh, and he's seen the best of his tires. So you can, you can breathe a little bit easy. Uh, around this time, left 42, um, Magnuson passes Grosjean on team orders. Uh, by the way, team orders were in effect for Haas this entire weekend. Um, Steiner's had enough. They, they lost their privileges. Yeah, and uh, basically he's like, like we will tell you who has priority, uh, but they are not allowed to settle that on the track anymore. Uh, Verstappen, um, you know, starts asking for more power. Hamilton manages to cool the cool the car off and uh, begins pulling up close into DRS range. Uh, Botas, by the way, when he, this is an interesting thing. I feel like I feel like the the hards were not a well understood compound here. I'd have to go back and look at the qual- the the practice runs, but it seems to me the lifespan of the of the hards, the expected lifespan of the hards was vastly in excess of what their real world operating uh, potential was. Because when mm-hmm. Valtteri came in around like you know lap six or whatever it was. Uh, the commentators were saying he should be able to finish the race on the hards, which is a wild amount of race distance uh, to expect. Uh, Ricardo starts on the hards, thinking he'll be able to carve through the field. Uh, but here we are on lap 48. Uh, Botas gives up on that strategy. He comes in uh, for another set of mediums uh, to finish the race on. He comes out in, in P12. Uh, Ricardo comes in, uh, comes out in P15. And then on lap 49... Even though it looked like maybe he was setting up for another stab at Verstappen, Hamilton comes in for mediums. Yeah, and it is a free pit stop because Leclerc is 40 seconds away in third place. So Hamilton can pit from second and come out in second. Uh, but you're right, this this is going to put him 21 seconds away from Verstappen. Um, but, you know, Mercedes is betting that with this medium tire... 
Hamilton will be able to close up to Verstappen and uh, and Verstappen's old hard tire and pass him in 22 laps because that's what we've got left. Um, it's a tall order, and Hamilton even says, I-, "I don't know if this was the right call." Man, he didn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's out there immediately saying, "Like I think," because I think for Hamilton, he he would have felt happy. He would have been happier rolling the dice on one last shot on those hards. Uh, mm-hmm. To see if you could get past Verstappen on those, rather than seed all that track position to take this free stop and get a free set of of mediums, and uh, right away the mediums don't seem particularly fast. He appears to be uh, he comes out in I think a little bit of traffic. I think somebody messaged me and said right from the first you could tell that uh, this was a good move from Mercedes, but I don't know. Looking at it, I remember watching that that gap between him and Verstappen. And we got about 20 laps left in this race. Verstappen has like a 20-second lead. It needs to start dropping by like meaningful chunks. And Hamilton, for a long time, does not appear to be able to put much of a dent in, uh, in that gap because there's so much traffic. Uh, these guys basically lap the entire field. And so they keep running into these pods of cars uh, that they they have to they have to pick their way past. But right when Hamilton makes that move, you can see what the you can see what the game plan is. Right, Mercedes think there's going to be enough pace on that medium tire that the tires will still be in good condition come the end of the race. They've got the life to they've got life and performance all the way through to the end of the race. And their gamble is that that pace will be enough to gobble up all that time uh, because they think the hards are going to continue to go off that Verstappen has, and he's going to hit the cliff. And this is the thing you need to know uh, if you don't follow Formula One too much. All tires degrade in performance across the course of a race. That can be affected by your driving style. If you've been locking up a lot and just messing up your tires, uh, being really aggressive, you can, you can shorten the lifespan of a tire, but tires do degrade in terms of performance. But the cliff is something else. The cliff is sort of what happens when you've gone beyond uh, the performance life of the tires. And that is where the sort of normal operating performance of the, of the tire just completely falls away. And so it's not like the tire just continues to go slower and slower and slower. It's like one minute you were driving a compromised race tire, but still a race tire. And the next minute, it is basically like for you... This just became a wet weather race. So that's what Mercedes is kind of gambling on. Like the, the closing stages of this thing, uh, maybe Max will even hit that, hit that cliff. And for him, pace will go away so quickly uh, that Hamilton will be able to regain all that space. Max immediately surmises what the, what the plan is at, at Mercedes when, he re- when they tell him that, that Hamilton came in and he immediately wants to stop. Um, Monday morning quarterback time, Drew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do the speed thing. I'm Dennis Hopper. I'm holding a gun on you. Pop quiz, hot shot. <laughs> Pop quiz. Yeah, Lewis Hamilton pulls in for mediums with 20 laps left in the race. You have a 20-second lead on hards. What do you do? I think if they're... If you've got the delta to do a pit stop, if you can get a pit stop in and come out in front of Hamilton, I think you do it. Where I don't think they had the time in the race. Uh, I think Hamilton either made up enough time or was already 
too close to Verstappen. Uh, that would make sense. He must have made up time um, on that first lap with his medium tires to be inside that pit delta because Red Bull doesn't do it. Yeah, uh, Horner says we just can't do it. We don't. We don't have the gap, and it appears to me that the calculation Red Bull is that if we pit, we're going to lose the track position, and we will not get it back. Um, that, and and this is you know, is, does this reflect a little bit of a lack of confidence in either the car or Max? That you, yes, you might lose the position in the pits, but you'd be close. You could maybe renew the fight. But I, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure that that anything demonstrated that Red Bull would be able to overtake the Mercedes. Like it's you know it's one thing to catch a car; yeah. it's another thing to pass it. Like and that it would have to be even if the Red Bull car was better this weekend than the Mercedes, it would have to be a lot better for Max to pass in a couple of laps. You know? Yeah. Personally, like I do feel like I would have made the same call that Red Bull did. Uh, yeah. which is that you have a 20 second lead. Like you're not at the cliff. You don't even like, you don't know when that's going to hit. Maybe he can uh, squeeze enough life out of these tires to just drag that fan across the finish line in first place. Because if he has a little bit of life left in those tires, even on mediums, uh, it may not be the easiest thing for Hamilton to overtake Verstappen. So I understand the gamble they made. It is one of those things where once you see it all play out, it will be self-evident like what the correct decision may have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in that moment, I kind of agree. Like To me, when I, when I was looking at where Hamilton came out on the track, how long it took to really begin like to really get that thing going, um, it did not seem to me like they picked a winning strategy. And yet that is why they run the whole length of the race, I guess. Uh, because once he clears traffic, uh, like Hamilton begins uh, closing the gap at just an astonishing uh, rate. But lap 62, that 20-second lead, uh, is down to nine seconds. Yeah. And they still have quite a few laps to go. Yeah. Um. Here's around the. This is around the time when Ricardo really begins losing his temper with Magnussen. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah. So lap 62, nine seconds. Lap 64, the gap is 5.5, and Verstappen gets on the radio and says the tires are dead. I thought that was interesting because I wonder. I always wonder about comments like this because are they? Is it the driver covering their own butts, saying like, you know. If uh, if Lewis gets past me, it's not my fault. It's the tires. I think in that case, um, I think I think F one drivers do a lot of vague complaining about their cars. I think this at this particular moment, I think this is a I think this message is on the level, and I think what he's trying to bring across is that one, if you're expecting me to defend the position, I'm not going to. Can't be done. The other thing is that it's also a signal that the car may not be safe to finish the race. You know what I mean? Like that, that might be the other thing he's, uh, he's trying to broadcast here is that at this point he's accepted the race may not even be in the cards. Uh, but at this point, what he needs his team to know is that it's not that the tires uh, have gone a bit off. It's that, you know, they have no pace left in them and the car is becoming undrivable. Uh, so I think this is, you know, that is kind of the white flag uh, from Max. 
Um, the gap is down to 2.6 seconds. Uh, the next lap around here, uh, Botas gets Norris once again doing that. Botas just keeps faking uh, to the uh, to the outside in turn one and then undercutting uh, drivers as he overtakes them by going in. Uh, he picks up a lot of positions uh, that way. Lap 66, Hamilton uh, pulls in the DRS range. Uh, just, just easily brushes past him. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no contest. Yeah, um, you know, just cruise, just cruises past him, and Verstappen immediately comes in uh, for a soft, trying to pick up the uh, purple time and the extra point for the day. Um, we got a last. I, I forgot about this. We we have we got a last little duel uh, between Vettel and Leclerc. Yeah, I mean, we didn't see it a whole lot in the <laughs> in the broadcast, but kind of the same thing that's been going on with Hamilton and Verstappen is happening uh, with Vettel and Leclerc. So Vettel on soft tires has been chasing down Leclerc on hard tires um, and gets by in that same spot with two laps to go uh, into, into third place. So Leclerc does try to defend uh, into turn one by moving to the inside, but Vettel goes even farther to the inside to make it work. It's a, it's a narrow a narrow gap, but uh, but Vettel Vettel gets it done. Um, but you're right, Verstappen does end up pitting um, uh, and getting the the fastest lap of the race for uh, for an extra point, but does not convert his very first pole position, and instead it is Hamilton's on the day. Um, and holy smokes, are those uh, big old driver caricature masks? Creepy. Did you see those things yeah, did, on the podium? Okay, did you figure out what was going on with that? Also, somebody yeah. sent me a picture of one of the Lewis big heads uh-huh. being a mech. Yeah. In like a stylized <laughs> mecha silver arrows, yeah. which uh-huh. is kind of my aesthetic, but I just <laughs> want to know why. I don't... You know what? I think Hungary is why. I think... Uh, well, more think... of that then. Uh, like, you know, if, if, if that's the Hungarian race fandom, uh, I'm here for it. I'm also here uh, for classic looking... Um, beautiful Vosses, Voss trophies. As trophies, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that, boy, that looks like something uh, that has been imported from another century, basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will put a link to that picture of Lewis Hamilton as a mech uh, in the show notes. Thanks to uh, Nick Horowitz on Twitter for sending that to us. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, I, 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 I think... When I said it was a, a race for race fans, it's because of that strategy overtaking on track kind of thing yeah. um, that uh, that we look for and love. You know, Germany was fun, but it's like a lot of the times it's not the driver's fault that uh, it was very, yeah, chaos happens. Yes, it was certainly was. Yeah, whereas this one, it was cool um, and also kind of a nice touch. Uh, if maybe a pointed one from Mercedes, usually you only hear the drivers talking to uh, their engineers after a race. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, if like a big wig is there from the org, they will put them on. Um, you know, maybe the team principal will will hop on. But here they brought out they put their race strategist on on the horn. And so as he takes this win and is coming back around. 
uh, Botas, you know, the, the strategist comes in, you know, Lewis, this is James. Well done. I know it was a, you know, I think he says, um, you know, I know it was a tough strategy and Lewis, you know, to his credit says, James, I'm sorry. I doubted you. Um, Mm -hmm. Which which was cool because it was this was a case where Mercedes absolutely gets to take a bow uh, for how they called that. Um, that was one of the most perfect race strategy calls I've ever seen. Like it's rare that you see things work. Like this this unfolded like a lesson in how F one works. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, like if yeah. you want to understand like tire strategy, like this is the race you point people to. Uh, this, and this was like a diagram. It's 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 all the more impressive to me because it wasn't like this was their only option, because they could have left their five-time world champion driver out there on those old tires to chase down Max Verstappen and pass him, but they took the other option, which was this risky pit thing, and it and it worked out. So um, it was it was a bold move that uh, I have to yeah I have to commend them for. Want to give Someone? us the uh, finishing results? Yes. Yeah, no, Lewis Hamilton. So oh, I was just going to say, you're hearing a little bit of traffic noise from the street because I have, after this heat wave, it's cooled off. And for some reason, no good reason, I've decided to make it like a point of pride that I'm not turning on the AC this week. Because <laughs> uh, it's just cool enough that I can do that. Uh-huh. But like today, it's kind of pushing my limits. Uh, but damn it, I am going to I am going to enjoy fresh air uh, for the first time in like two weeks. Well, uh, that's 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 bold because podcasting heats me up. I don't know about you. Uh, all right, Lewis Hamilton in first place, followed by Max Verstappen, and uh, rounding out the podium, Sebastian Vettel in third. Behind him, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz coming home in fifth, followed by Pierre Gasly in sixth, Kimi Räikkönen in seventh, Valtteri Bottas in eighth, having passed Lando Norris, and Alexander Albon getting the last point uh, in the top ten. Sergio Perez starts the uh, um, the rest of the field in eleventh place, followed by Nico Hülkenberg, Kevin Magnussen, Daniel Ricciardo, uh, moving up to fourteenth from twentieth place. Danny Kvyat in fifteenth, George Russell in sixteenth, which you know. Way to go. Started 15th, only lost one in your Williams. I, I commend you, George Russell. Lance Stroll in 17th. Antonio Giovinazzi in 18th. Uh, Robert Kubica in 19th. And Roman Grosjean went out with a water pressure issue on, I think, lap uh, 52. Yes. To which, did you hear this? David Croft remarked, uh, Kevin Magnuson is getting married soon. I wonder if Grosjean is invited or if he'll just crash the reception. That's not bad. That's not bad. Speaking of crashes, I forgot to mention um, yet another not amazing weekend for Leclerc, right? He uh, yeah. damn near wrecked his car in qualifying. Um, That's right. They did he, manage to fix it pretty quick, but yeah. Yeah, he was very lucky in that it took a very hard but square bump uh, on the backside of the car and the crash structure, and they they were able to just get it back out there without running afoul of the scrutineers. But... Um, yeah, like nothing seems to be going great at uh, at Ferrari, but the early season notion that I, I had that like we were going to see Leclerc rapidly sort of rise uh, within that team appears to also be running aground on the shoals of reality. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's something that I can't help contrast with Lando Norris. I heard early on that Norris said his philosophy for this first year was to take it easy and not take too many risks. And that has kind of borne out to be a pretty good strategy because he hasn't gotten into too many incidents uh, and has, you know, he is currently 10th place in the driver's championship. Um, Whereas Leclerc, I, I cannot imagine the pressure of being a Ferrari driver. Um, But he, we have seen, and it may just be that he is on TV a lot, uh, but we have seen, you know, a, a fair number of, of missteps. And he's not a rookie. This is yeah. his second year in Formula One. But um, yeah, you're right. I think he, next season, certainly needs to keep it super duper clean. If, uh, yeah, I don't know. That team that team seems like it might be hell. Uh, you had Ross yeah. Braun talking about how, uh, I don't even know why they people were, this is for Autosport, but he was sort of opining about, how badly Ferrari just needs a win so that the atmosphere in the team is less like pressurized, um, which, uh, you know, Braun knows a lot about Ferrari having been there for a number of years and having been kind of the, the genius behind its uh, dominance in the early two thousands with Michael Schumacher. Uh, but it just seems like that team might be hell. Um, and I am wondering now Hamilton, like, uh, Vettel has often shown his worst form, his worst form uh, at that team, and has often seemed kind of disaffected being there. Uh, Leclerc just has a lot of missteps, and the, you know he's young. They're sort of n- novice driver missteps, maybe. Uh, but also, is there just an element of Ferrari is too intense a uh, too intense a an atmosphere? to be healthy for a sport as psychological as formula one. I don't know, but it does. I, I do kind of wonder um, whether Leclerc in the long term is being well served by having been moved up there so quickly uh, and out of Sauber. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny. I was, I've been listening to the, the F1 beyond the grid podcast and I think it was, um, the interview with uh, Alex Vertz, who was talking about, and I forget which of his team bosses he was talking about. Um, it may have been Brigatori, uh, but he was basically saying like he could be horrible. He could be very scary and uh, mean to you, but when on like on race day, you were going out to drive the car, he would like pump you up. Like he would be your biggest champion and would make you feel really, really great before you got in the car. And it's all about when it's, when we're talking drivers here, the people that have to pilot the cars, you're right. It is very psychological. And if you're, if your team boss is just, if, it, if, if your environment is all stress, that's going to translate. And so I think at a place like Ferrari, it is all down to can you keep that away from the driver? And, you know, it's it's impossible to know what it is like in there for us, but um, you can only hope that uh, it gets better for Leclerc. Yeah, I've, I kind of feel like it's telling that one of the only guys who always seem to just be unaffected What's the way to put it? Um, he was never overawed by Ferrari, 
was Raikkonen. And I think in the earlier part of his career, they were frustrated with that because he didn't seem to take it seriously enough. Coming from the Schumacher era, uh, Raikkonen was, no, was certainly not their idea of a Ferrari race driver. But I do kind of wonder in the last few seasons, has, was Raikkonen's ability to just not give a shit his secret weapon to longevity at Ferrari? Right, because like I, yeah. I think to everyone else, it's like this existential uh, nightmare of I am driving poorly in a Ferrari. My God, uh, the entire country of Italy hates me. Yeah, and Kimmy just, you know, whatever. I'm here yeah. with my family. My kids, all right. Uh, should we move on to the rest of the news? Yeah, let me do driver standings here. Yeah. Uh, going into the summer break, Lewis Hamilton, 250 points in first place. Valtteri Bottas in second with 188. Max Verstappen close behind, nine points away in third place with 181. Sebastian Vettel in fourth with 156. Charles Leclerc, 132. Pierre Gasly, 63 points in sixth place. Followed by Carlos Sainz with 58. Kimi Raikkonen in eighth place with 31 points. Close behind him, Danny Kvyat. Moving up with that podium finish into ninth place with 27 points. Lando Norris in 10th with 24. Ricardo's got 22. Stroll and Magnussen are tied for 12th place with 18. Hulkenberg's got 17. Albin's got 16. That's real tight in the middle. Uh, Perez has 13. Grosjean is in 17th place with 8 points. Antonio Giovinazzi and Robert Kubica are tied with 1 point uh, at 18th place. George Russell, the only driver with 0 points. Uh, in team standings, Mercedes way out in front with 438 points. Uh, Ferrari's in second with 288. Red Bull, 244. Can you imagine if Verstappen had a better teammate, what this conversation would be like? Uh, fourth place, McLaren with 82. Scuderia Toro Rosso, fifth place with 43 points. That's strong. Uh, Renault's got 39 points in sixth place. Alfa Romeo's in seventh with 32. Just behind them, racing point. With 31 points, Gene Haas and team have 26 points. And Williams on the board with one point. Yeah, let's take it to some news. All right. Uh, so real quick, this is just a thing that caught my eye. Uh, Vettel was talking, uh, I think, after this race about how much he hates sponsor trophies. Uh, <laughs> so if you we, we comment on it every time, which I think indicates that he's on to something here. Every time there is a cool trophy... At a race, especially one that looks like old timey, like the big ass cup you get at Silverstone. Uh-huh. We're always yeah. like, damn, that's a trophy. Yeah. And we never say anything about the trophies that are just like the fucking Heineken star or something like that. Or and, the French gorilla. Yeah. And Vettel was like, we, he's like, we should not have so many sponsor. We should get, we should get rid of these sponsor trophies. Um, and there was a good quote that I identified strong with, uh, strongly with. He said, I care. I think for me, they, meaning uh, more classic style trophies, they are part of traditions. When I look back at old pictures, I see the old guys lifting the trophies in the different countries. And I think he's noticed a small thing, but I think it is a meaningful thing. And I think that it, F1 would be enriched a little bit if more races had their own like historic trophy that went with them. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think the, um, it's the, isn't it the championship trophy that has the different names of the drivers? I guess that would be hard to do because you yeah. give the trophy to everybody else. But yeah, you're right. Like it's, or like the, the one that I always think of is, I forget which one it is, but it's just a, it's just the race course. It's like the layout of the track 
And like, I guess. Yeah. But sure. Yeah, I think you're right. Vettel, Vettel's old school, but I, yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Uh, so we're about to go on a long break, but, uh, couple things that have happened in the world of F1. First of all, uh, all the teams voted to extend the season up to 22 races. Wow. Uh, I don't know what's going to come with that. I don't know if that means they're also going to cut into testing because that was one of the big big sticking points around a 22-race season is that, well, if we're going to run 22 races, we probably shouldn't have like extended preseason testing. Uh, but theoretically, 22-race season, that is a lot of Formula 1. This season's been good enough that 22 races, like, I'd be cool with that. But I don't know. 22. What, what would your feelings be? Um, I don't have a problem with how long the season is. I think that I'm kind of surprised that the teams agreed to this because it just, it seems rough, man. Yeah. As like a human being to be on the road for 22 races. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. What about you? Yeah, no, that's about where I'm at. Like the rate, like it sounds like good, good rate. I'm here for more racing. I think from the standpoint of like just the toll that F1 takes on the people involved, that seems like a lot. That is a yeah. lot of racing. Um, and it's a lot of road mileage on drivers and teams. And so, uh, I do wonder I think, you know, you compare this to, like, a team sport, all, and F1 is a team sport, but not in the same way as, like, football, right? Mm-hmm. I think if, like, mechanics and engineers viewed themselves more as, like, members of a sports team with their own collective interests that are maybe different <laughs> from the people who run the sport, I think they might react differently. Because, you know, you hear these things about at the factory, the mechanics will, will I think this was maybe... Uh, like Mercedes talking about this maybe at the factory uh, on a given day, they will do like 40, 50 dummy pit stops to, uh uh, to practice. Like these guys are traveling, they're training. It's a lot that is asked of them. And the, the question of whether or not we should have a 22 race season. I'm not entirely sure that question should lie exclusively with the team representatives. Uh, and F1 management. That's just me, though. Um, the other thing is that when we come back, it looks like uh, Renault and McLaren, uh, which runs McLaren, uh, which runs Renault Power, they will be taking penalties in upcoming races uh, to roll out a new engine spec. Uh, I don't know how much of the spec C Renault is about uh, performance improvement versus addressing some mechanical faults we've seen over the last few races. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, uh, the fact they're rolling it out to both at once suggests this is a, kind of been one of those urgent uh, you know, patches you get sometimes <laughs> on your PC where it just stops and it updates without you ever getting a choice. Uh, that might be the spec C right now, uh, but it likely okay. means they're going to be starting a few races, races from the back of the grid. I mean, if McLaren's taking it, that means that they are you know, taking penalties to get it in there voluntarily. I, I imagine this is how this works. And if they want to do that, that must mean that it's improving reliability because right now yeah. that is the Achilles heel. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that is going to be interesting to see over the course of this, uh, of this break, I think, I think we're, I think we're probably on the money that no decision with Gasly is going to be made. Um, 
at at Red Bull, but in the last couple races, there's suddenly been a lot of talk about Valtteri Bottas maybe not having a secure future at Mercedes. Uh, listener Josh emailed us about this, uh, kind of asking about Valtteri seems to be having a really good season. He's contributed to a lot of massive team success. Uh, what the hell is going on? And Wolf even said he's going to be making a decision about Valtteri's future uh, at uh, Mercedes over this break. And it seems pretty clear that the driver that Wolf is thinking about, in, thinking a lot about as he makes this decision, is Esteban Ocon. Drew, what do you think? I uh, there's a there's a note in here that you've written in this document saying it's striking how personally invested Wolf seems in making sure he gets a seat. I think that is very accurate. I think is he is Wolf Ocon's manager? I don't know that he's his manager, but if you listen to the Beyond the Grid interview with Ocon, Wolf is the guy who like helped him make that final step into sort of the top tier of like racing development. Uh, So Wolf has basically been his rabbi and I think there's like, I think there's two things in play here. I think Wolf feels personally obligated to make sure Ocon gets his shot. Remember, apparently he had a deal basically done to get him in at Renault and then Renault snapped up Ricardo and that possibility went away. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think there's an element of Wolf feeling obligated and a little bit guilty that it's, it's all kind of broken bad uh, for, for Ocon, who is a likable driver. Uh, but also, here's the other thing, may also be a great driver. Yeah. I, I think, you know, watching uh, Drive to Survive back again, it's tough to argue with this kid coming in and racing teammate to Sergio Perez who's been, you know, he's a veteran of Formula One and like matching him blow for blow and not giving an inch. I mean, that kind of cost him a couple of times, you know, the wall. But uh, I think he is, he would certainly be a dynamic driver at Mercedes uh, or, or really anywhere he would go. I, I don't know if Mercedes is the company that would weigh that. Yeah. Um, Red Bull, certainly, which is why I think if they went with anyone, they would go with, uh, Albon um, over Kvyat because Albon's new and exciting. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but he's second in the championship. I mean, for now, he's only nine points ahead of Verstappen. Uh, Botas is, but I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's the other thing is there's a world of difference between I don't think Mercedes is as high pressure as Ferrari is because they've kind of had it all their own way for a while. But I think the dynamic could immediately be weird if Ocon comes in there. And I think two, like I think there's two possibilities that that would concern me uh, if if I'm Wolf. Mm-hmm. One is that he immediately starts to struggle, and hey, you know Hamilton's racking up all these points. Why aren't you? Um, that could be a tougher conversation when you're dealing with a younger driver who's already sort of gone through the trauma of losing his racing seat once before. The other option, which I also wouldn't be eager to see, is 
What if he gets off to a really strong start and decides, I'm going to be the one to shoot the sheriff, mm-hmm. you know, and goes after Hamilton? And there would be a fitting, there would be a fitting quality to that, right? Like, this is how it all went bad for Alonzo. Alonzo is in at McLaren, and he gets a new teammate, Lewis Hamilton, who Ron Dennis, the team principal, is personally invested in. He has a long-standing relationship with this young driver, with his father. Uh, and so when Hamilton immediately starts showing some incredible pace and not showing any deference to Alonzo, uh, Alonzo loses his shit a little bit. And starts, and also becomes increasingly convinced the fix is in. That, you know, push comes to shove. This is a British team. The management is friends with Hamilton's family. Um, I'm not going to get a fair shot. I could see that all repeating a little bit at Mercedes. And I am not sure that is a can of worms that I'm Total Wolf I want to, I want to open, right? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Keeping your five-time championship-winning driver happy is got to be one of your top priorities, right? And that's why Botas is great because he was never the young gun. Nope, coming in with something to prove. He's like, "Yeah, I can race. Let's do it." Ocon has got something to prove. So yeah. I think he, I think it's a really good point. Yeah, but stranger things have happened. Well, we've heard also like Verstappen's name has been tossed around a little bit as a potential yeah, Mercedes. I, I, that, I, just, yeah, I wonder a, where all this stuff comes from, you know? <laughs> well, Verstappen is like made, like said things that like he clearly has a little bit of a thirst uh, to move up in the in the F1 world. Um, th- though I think that's that may have been quenched a little bit by the fact that if I'm Verstappen, the last few weeks suddenly have me have me looking at everything differently, right? Mm-hmm. Ferrari hasn't been good, hasn't reliably been good since Schumacher and since Ross Braun is running the show over there. Like, yeah, they came close a couple times, once with Alonso and once with um, Massa. Mm-hmm. Um, arguably, Seb may have done a little bit of work in throwing away the chance last year, but if you look at the arc of the past decade at Ferrari, it's not good. This, this Ferrari mystique may count for something, but the results aren't there to justify it. Um, you could, you know, if you want championships, maybe Mercedes is the place to advocate for yourself to, to go. But at the same time, prior to this shift to the turbo hybrids, I think, Red Bull was dominant. They were a great team. Like, they're, they're you know, the last, the last person to have as much support behind them at Red Bull was... Uh, Sebastian Vettel, and he won three championships with them. Mm-hmm. If I'm Verstappen, this begins to feel like a team that's on the rise, and I might want to just see how this plays out. Uh, but uh, he has said things like, um, you know, I don't think I don't think Hamilton's ever had a challenging teammate, in hinting that you know he might be that challenging teammate. Yeah, and Max has said like, oh, and and Hamilton came back and said, no, I don't have any worries about it. I like working about working with Valtteri, but. You know, hey, I'd support Max joining the team, um, which would be hilarious. But I don't think is this all probably does feel like improving bargaining positions. Uh, yeah, I think that's another wrinkle to this. Uh, and boy, talk about the sparks that would fly with Hamilton and Verstappen in the team. So and good. Verstappen in the team. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, uh, you're right about what you say about Red Bull. I, I think 
you contrast them with Ferrari and how tumultuous that has looked. Red Bull has not been dominant for a long time, but they have been steady. Yeah. And they've been steadily improving. Uh, and I, I, which is why I just, it just still blows my mind about what, you know, Ricardo did. But, um, yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. It, to me, the wise decision would be for Max to stay. To go to Josh's question, though, do you think Botas deserves to sort of be shown the door at this point? Mm. He had a lackluster season last year. He's had flashes of real great performance this season, but also there have been some egregious mistakes. Uh, last week, arguably, was an accident that just shouldn't have happened. Uh, he was the, he was the final nail in one of the worst weekends in Mercedes team history, or at least modern team history. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he drove a pretty lackluster race this week. Uh, so in terms, again, that sort of, that sort of value add, that win above replacement, uh, question, do you think Valtteri is adding anything to a great car? I guess it depends on what you as a team are looking to get out of your second driver. And if it's just like a reliable points grabbing guy I think uh, the wise move to me would be to just stay with him because they're let's see 150 points ahead of Ferrari in the constructor championship right now granted Hamilton's been killing it Fettel hadn't hasn't really uh, or Verstappen hasn't really taken a lot of those points away from Lewis so who's to say maybe they if if the other teams were more matched maybe you would need someone stronger than Botas in there I don't know I don't know if the trade-off is worth the potential inter-team fractioning that could happen yeah that's where I'm at like Valtteri first of all He's still a driver where I can easily convince myself that he actually has better days ahead of him. That, like, yeah. he has shown improvement. He's also shown some regression, but on the whole, he appears to be a driver who has maybe not completely uh, hit his ceiling and may have, uh, you know, at least one better season of racing ahead of him uh, than he's had in the past. We may not have seen his best season. And then I think there is that other element of, once you have sort of the championship uh, winner, the thoroughbred in you know in the garage and the stable, I am not sure you need someone to be bringing that kind of heat uh, all the time. I think I think Valtteri has kept Lewis honest uh, this season. He's made his mistakes, but yeah, I just get so nervous at the idea of introducing a wild card into what has been a pretty successful partnership. Uh, and let's be real, the main purpose of that partnership is just keep things, like, add some points on to Lewis and make sure Lewis is happy. Mm-hmm. So, Get the yeah. Constructors' Championship. Yeah. So, we'll see. Uh, I, yeah. I can see the argument for maybe making this his last season at, uh, at Mercedes, uh, but I don't know. I think, if, uh, I think if you are making that decision, you're also saying to Lewis that we are starting to look to a future that may not include you, and I don't know what that means for what the uh, Hamilton 
Mercedes partnership would look like. Uh, other bit of news, uh, Indy, uh, IndyCar delayed its switch to a new engine uh, so that they can take another year, but then they're going to switch to more powerful hybrids uh, than the cars they're running now. And I missed this entirely, uh, but I just want to shout it out here. Um, Road and Track did a really good feature on uh, what the here's what new Le Mans hypercar rules mean for sports car racing in 2020. Uh, but yeah, I was I think on I think I was at E3 around when this was happening. But Le Mans prototypes are done. The LMP1 class is going to be a thing of the past, and instead we are getting a new hypercar class. And what that means is there is a lot of technology you can bring over from, say, like. Bugatti wants to bring the Veyron, uh, you know, powertrain over in. They can do that. They are allowed, uh, but they do have to have a race spec uh, chassis for this for this new endurance format, and it has to be compliant with that. Uh, there's some interesting and novel cost control measures. Uh, for one thing, the minimum the engines have a minimum weight that is pretty heavy, uh, which means that there's not much to be gained by using a lot of advanced materials to create a lighter, more powerful engine. Uh, so they're really, what they're really trying to do with these rules is you followed endurance racing a little bit in the last year. Toyota has been the only one out there running uh, in the mm-hmm. LMP one class. There's been some uh, sort of self-funded teams out there, but obviously those are just people who are kind of, holy shit, we can build an LMP1 class car and that seems like fun, but they're not competitors for an operation like Toyota. So basically, uh, you know, prior to that, you had a couple eras where you effectively had two teams uh, competing each other against each other at once. Now at this point, it's been down to one team for over a year. And so they're making a drastic switch to kill off that prototype class and introduce this new class that will hopefully bring in a lot of manufacturers and sort of make the top tier of racing at, uh, at these endurance races actually feel like a top tier competitive race. Uh, I think it's pretty exciting. I don't know. What do you, what do you make of all this? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think a one, <laughs> a one team series is not interesting to anyone uh, or certainly not me. And the... The fact that these are not like <laughs> real cars in the sense that like real people can buy them, but real in the sense that this is a, they are cars that I've heard of instead of just the Lama car built by Toyota. Yeah. Um, it adds a little something for me. So I'm, I'm all for this. Because yeah. frankly, endurance racing has been a little bit impenetrable to me. Yeah, uh, I've tried to get into it a couple of times, and uh, I just can't. I think because I can just I can't see at the top level where the challenge or where the not the challenge, but where the where the interest for me lies, and um, a big switch up of the rules I think could could really help that. So yeah. Cool. Right. Is that it for news? Yeah, I think I think that can be it for news. All right, let's take it to fantasy standings. If you'd like to join our F1 Fantasy League, you can follow the link in the show notes with the invite code. In 10th place, we've got Rich Volt F1 Energy Team, pending foreclosure. Uh, Abject Failure F1 is in 9th place. In 8th place, we've got Fry the Tires. 7th place is DEFCON 1. 6th place, Alpha Emojis. 5th place, Maka F1. 
Fourth place is St. Jovese Racing Team. Third place, Mercedes all the way. Second place, the Hamiltons break the system. And in first, going into the summer break, back on top. Steering wheel, hey, hey, give it to me, move, come on. And we got some emails here. If you'd like to email us, you can do so at shiftf1podcast at gmail.com. First one comes in from Tom saying, Hey guys, hope you can uh, explain something to me. The concept of a reverse grid race. It seems to me a reverse grid race, it would be in my best interest to go as slow as possible in qualifying in order to get a better grid position. What am I missing? Uh, I think you're missing, and I think this is how... I want to say all reverse grids work. It only works when there's a two race format. So you do a normal qualifying, you do a normal race, and then based on how that race finishes, you flip the grid. So it has that flipped grid race has nothing to do with qualifying. It's all how you finished in the race. Uh, Formula two works a little bit like this. So they have two, they have two races. They have a feature race and a sprint race, which is sprint races comes after and is much shorter and they don't flip the grid entirely, but they do flip the top eight. So, uh, it does behoove you to try as hard as you can, um, to, to get into the top eight and, and not, you know, be in the back of the field, but it also rewards, uh, or just mixes up the field, uh, um, uh, a little bit for the uh, the sprint race. Rob, do you know of any other racing series? I know W Series just did one uh, recently where that they, was an exhibition. Yeah, yeah, but it was the same deal. They had one race earlier in the weekend, and then they they flipped the results from that one. Yeah. Um, another thing that happens in, I think this is more of a touring car thing, is that they'll have a the qualifying session and then based on how fast everybody went, your car gets ballast associated with it. That's not qualifying. Uh, that's, I think that, usually I think that is based on points. Um, so, oh, is it really? Okay. Yeah, it's either, so it's either based on your last placement. So like you'll still do regular qualifying, but if you were in uh, first place at at the last race, I think you might get... Uh, the most ballast that is possible. Um, I, I, I just look up details because there's a few different ways you can you can handle it. Uh, but basically, the idea is with ballasting, you're not punishing. Uh, I shouldn't use punishing as the word because that is a loaded. Um, people who hate things like this, people who are like, ah, no, the virtuous uh, circle of success, uh, the cycle of success in motorsports is holy, and we shouldn't break it. Tend to say this is punishing teams for success. Uh, I tend to think these systems exist to guarantee some competitiveness and entertainment and maybe make it worth it for uh, scrappier teams to maybe continue scrapping. But the idea is that, so if you had like take, take F1 this year, Mercedes would be starting every race at this point with the maximum amount of weight ballasting uh, possible. Slightly less ballasted them than them would be uh, the Ferraris, and then you know, and then so on and so forth, until you start reaching the middle of the pack, where nobody's carrying any ballast, uh, and so their cars are going a little bit faster and are a little bit more competitive. Uh, I understand why this might seem at odds with like the the true spirit of motorsport, but I think in general it's also worked pretty well 
at kind of gracefully bringing cars back into contention. I'm sure it's very noticeable to drivers when they're carrying around a lot of, lot, lot of extra ballast, but from a spectator standpoint, you don't really see the effect too much. What you see is suddenly those two cars are racing really closely, and a week ago they weren't. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, one thing I forgot to mention in Formula 2, when you reverse the grid and then do the sprint race, you get, uh, I think it's half points for how you finish in that race, just to sort of uh, not make it too crazy. Uh, next email here, Rob, you want to take this one? Sure, this one comes from uh, Ron J. Folks, when you listen to team principals or drivers during press availabilities at various races, they often say something like, we don't think this is our kind of track, but we're just hoping to get our setup as close as possible. What do they mean by setup? How are, what are the components of a car's setup? How are these variable components tailored to different tracks like, say, Austria versus Silverstone? How is the setup driver-dependent or driver-focused? How much do the teams adjust the setup from race to race or track to track, and why? Uh, so, it depends on racing series what cars, what elements of a car are open to tweaking. Like, again, in a spec series, like... Uh, you know, Formula 2, there's actually a lot of the car that you can't tinker with at all uh, because that would sort of break the the, the spec conceit. Uh, like, so, for instance, in, in Formula 2, you can't decide I'm going to run a smaller rear wing than anybody else uh, to reduce drag. You're not allowed to do that. But, for instance... there's one rear, rear wing that everyone uses. Right. Whereas, like... It's like you know, communism. <laughs> exactly. Uh <laughs> And the racing is great. Um, whereas what you'll see these teams do is at like Monza, for instance, you're going to see the smallest rear wings uh, possible. And everyone's going to bring out in a lot of cases like the rear wing they have designed specifically for Monza because it is the fastest, straightest track uh, on the on the F1 calendar, I think at this point, and asks the least of the rear downforce. So they designed this 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 wing that basically exists for one maybe two races a season. Uh, but that but that isn't really part of setup. That is that is just you bring out a different component. Uh, components can change uh, based on based on tracks. So like that the question about the question about the wing. You'll have teams bring out specialized components for tracks where they think there's a competitive edge to have maybe a different uh, wing setup or something. But in terms of what you're doing, setting up the car every race, uh, a lot of times what you are doing is, for instance, you are changing the uh, angle of the front tires, uh, for instance. The, the degree to which the front tires... Uh, tilt inwards toward the chassis versus stand up straight has pretty massive ramifications for how well the car corners and uh, for how fast it can go, but also for how the tire wears. Uh, that is something that can be changed quite a bit, but it requires driver feedback. It requires the driver telling you, "No, I think we need another half degree," uh, you know, in in the front in the front tires uh, for to, to make that make sense. Uh, you'll, you will have them adjusting the way the, the, uh, 
The suspension of the car is set up, the springs, the stiffness of the springs, how much the car is allowed to roll uh, versus, uh, you know, sort of how how flatly the thing corners. Uh, all of these things come down to how does a car feel to a driver? What do they think allows for the most, uh, you know, the, 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 most, the most speed around the track? And the trick is... This is why you have practice, because until qualifying, you can adjust all of these variables. Once you take your first qualifying lap, the car enters park for May, which means that whatever setup you ran with in qualifying, that is now what you're going to be racing through the race weekend. So you better have gotten it right in, uh, in, quali- in qualifying. As for whether these are uh, driver-dependent, driver-focused, the answer is kind of both. Um, the teams rely on their drivers a great deal to tell them how these things feel. One of the things that separates an F1 driver from anyone else is that F1 drivers generally do have kind of an uncanny sense of the mechanics of their car and whether or not something has changed and whether that's a good change. Uh, most of us could never feel it, but these guys are incredibly sensitive to small changes in the tuning of a car and that kind of feedback is one of the real values they add uh, separate from the race pace is just being able to give good feedback to engineers driver focused is interesting because drivers do have preferences there are drivers who have a bias for how they want their car set up do they like to have the brakes uh re- you know do they like to have the brake balance really shifted far forward uh do they like the car's rear end to step out a little bit uh, versus maybe the car being a little bit sluggish going into corners. These are all things that will feel right to one driver and maybe feel wrong to another. And part of what you're doing here is creating a version of the car that the driver is most comfortable and happy with. Uh, now, we talked a couple times, Drew. They've complained lately, drivers have and teams have, that also setup is just trickier than it used to be. Yeah, I think the what I've heard a couple of times is that the the by the nature of the cars these days, everything has to be in such a narrow window for everything to come together that if you're outside the window on any one part, your car is super slow. Uh, which I I don't know. I'm fine with that. Uh, make it make it hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the one thing I would add here is that uh, when a car enters Park Ferme, there are still a few things they can change, like uh, wing angle, front wing angle. Like You'll hear this. I think you hear it more in IndyCar, but sometimes you'll hear it in Formula One. A driver wants some more front wing uh, or less, you know, which yeah. basically just means more downforce or less downforce. And you can actually see them when they come into a pit. Um, there's a guy with an Allen key, an Allen wrench, uh, that you know goes into a uh, Mercedes highlights them nicely. They're these little tiny little holes uh, on the wing itself, and you put an Allen key in there and you turn it. You know, half a half a turn or a quarter turn or whatever whatever the driver says, uh, and that'll give you more or less downforce. Um, I, I, there's probably a couple other things that you can do outside of park from me. Um, I don't have the regulations in front of me, but uh, yeah. Thanks, Ron Jay. Uh, last one here comes from Steve. Have you guys seen this yet? The F1 visualized YouTube channel. Uh, it's a YouTube channel that presents races and seasons as a visualizer shows pit stops and tire wear 
uh, all kinds of cool stuff. This is I've I've seen these as animated gifs a couple of times when browsing the uh, the Formula One subreddit, but uh, I didn't know they had a YouTube channel, and I will link that in the show notes. Uh, probably the best one to link, and it's the one that's on their uh, the homepage of their channel is the German Grand Prix. It's cool because you get to see the gaps to everybody in kind of not in real time, but in like sort of sped up mode and you can watch as certain cars speed up and pass or uh, slow down in relation to other cars and then when a safety car comes out everybody pits and then they all flop around uh it's re- it's really cool i will i will put a link to that in the show notes uh thanks to everybody who wrote in to uh shift f1 podcast at gmail.com and to everyone who said hey around the internet uh at shift f1 podcast shift f1 podcast on twitter i'm at Scown. that's at rob zachney at danny o'dwyer well uh, be back eventually. Um, but now it is time to race around the world, everyone. Brands Hatch is hosting DTM. We are all DTM at Brands Hatch today, uh, or on Saturday, rather, and Sunday, uh, along with the W Series race on Sunday, the final uh, of the inaugural W Series race. Uh, MotoGP, my world showing up once again for the My World Motorrad Grand Prix von Österreich at the Red Bull Ring. And we got so much in the NASCAR family. We got Gander Mountain Trucks at the Michigan International Speedway for the Corrigan Oil 200. Uh, the Xfinity Series uh, is racing at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. Uh, for the, what is it? The B&L Transport 170. And then finally, the NASCAR Monster Energy Cup is also at the Michigan International Speedway for the Consumers Energy 400. I suppose by consuming a Monster Energy, you are also consuming energy, especially when you got your lights on, doing a load of laundry. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's all the racing happened in this weekend. It's kind of a, a dearth, uh, from now, I guess Pocono coming up IndyCar, uh, on August 18th in the meantime, a super formula race, uh, some rallying on the 22nd through the 25th, um, MotoGP doing some races, but we're back in formula one land, uh, in Belgium, uh, on September 1st, that is the race weekend. Or that's the that's the race date. Um, so uh, yeah, if you're if you're a patron, look forward to some content going up. Uh, in the meantime, we will also be back, of course, before the uh, the spa race with a, with a pre show as well. Um, but yeah, thanks uh, thanks, Rob Sackney. You got anything else? No, I think that covers that. I'm just looking forward to a little summer hiatus. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. If you'd like to support the show, you can, again, do so at patreon.com slash shift F1. Get access to all our uh, weird bonus content. Uh, but, yeah, until we see you next time, uh, thank you very much. We will see you all later. Box, box, box. Retire the podcast.